says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to talk about another week of Parramatta football is my good mate, 60s. Awful weather yesterday, big fella, but it's looking much sunnier and brighter today. How are you holding up between all of that uh, winter and summer and two days sort of stuff? I uh, got a little bit drenched last <laughs> night watching Eels training. So I'm glad of the kind of conditions that it, we're experiencing today. I think it's going to get just a little bit too hot maybe for footy come the end of the week. But what about these quick turnarounds and the early in the week matches? And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it doesn't help us for getting out of three podcasts a week, does no, it? No, yeah, we're still we're, a little bit out of sync in that regard, trying to bang things all together at the right time. Uh, but so, we'll yeah, bear, bear with us today, people, because this is a combined uh, news and preview podcast. It might go a little bit longer than yeah. we particularly like, but there's there's so much to cover today, mate. Those Thursday night so games will cover. get you, mate. <laughs> they will get you very quickly. All right. Uh, we spoke about the Parramatta Eels loss in our Instant Reaction podcast. Uh, that happened, obviously, at Jack's Bar and Grill out there at Parramatta Leagues Club. But let's uh, have a quick weekend recap, 60s. You're out there for the junior reps. You wrote your report on parareels.com.au. So anyone that wants to get a good in-depth read of what happened can catch that report on the official Eels website. But give me a quick rundown of what happened uh, for the Tasha Gale and the SG Ball. Yeah, well, look, first of all, we had the buy that was there for the Harold Matthews Cup. There was a number of teams that were drawn a buy. But here's where it was significant for the Eels. is The, the Eels, via that buy, are now currently sitting in equal first place in the Harold Matthews Cup alongside the uh, Bulldogs and the Raiders. So three teams there on 10 competition points. And that means essentially the Eels have gone undefeated since that first round loss to the Roosters. And that was probably a match that they should have won. So Mm -hmm. there was still four matches that were played out at Cabramatta. It was a really full day. It started with the Lisa Fiola Cup and, for people who aren't aware of that, that's an under-17s brief competition. It's only four rounds. They don't play finals. But it's really done as like a development activity for uh, under-17s, as I said. And it's a lead-in to the Tasha Gale Cup. It's probably, if it was a full season, it would be the equivalent of the Harold Matthews Correct. in the boys' pathways. But uh, it's... Really, we're in that growth phase of female pathways in junior representatives. So they've expanded from it being a round robin sort of competition that was played on a weekend to now a a competition played over four rounds. What I can tell you is that the Parramatta Reels were mightily impressive. Mightily impressive. They uh, scored something like nine tries in beating the Cronulla Sharks. And it wasn't just their attack that was brilliant. It was the defence. Some of the try-line defence that they put up when the the Sharks had a bit of possession was phenomenal. But they just, they got a great roll-on through the centre. As soon as they really started to put the Sharks on the back foot, they started to play a bit more expansive football. You... 
in the end, like the tries were scored all over the place. Left ring, wing, right wing, left edge, right edge, under the posts. It was just good football to watch. They played it in three 20-minute uh, thirds. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're also playing this week out at Brookvale Oval. The Tasha Gale Cup have a bye. So they then take the spot of the Tasha Gale in terms of the time that they play. So uh, if you're out, if you're going to get to the matches this week, get there early. Um, it was followed then by the Tasha Gale Cup. Unfortunately, Tasha Gale, they lost on the back of a couple of intercepts that were taken by the Sharks. And the Sharks, it was the same Shark swinger that took the odds to uh, the intercept. Something we probably don't see too much of in uh, in that competition, do we? No. Players going for the intercept. And I, I don't know what her record is with this particular winger, but she didn't hesitate to go for it. She nabbed two of them, which... The first one when the Eels threatened to put on their second try of the day and were really looked like they were going to run all over the Sharks. And it was a, a genuine mo- momentum swinger right at the start. It then became a, a really tough, tight match. And then with the scores locked and only about five minutes to go, uh, the Eels, they don't die. The, this Eels team don't die wondering. And we've seen they've come up trumps from that in the past. They went for it. She took an intercept again. It was around about the halfway mark, something like that. And off she ran again, the Sharks winger. And that ended up uh, being the uh, the decisive score. So it went from being a draw to um, yeah, a, uh, a six-point loss for the Tasha Gale team. And that's their first time that they've uh, dropped a game since the opening round as well. Uh, they did have a buy in there. Uh, Harold, uh, as I said, the uh, Harold Matts had a buy, the SG ball. They really were um, coming into this game after their worst performance of the season against the Raiders. yeah, they were embarrassed in that second half game against Canberra. Yeah, so they they bounced back. Again, it was a, a quite a tight encounter against the Sharks. So it, it was, look, I, I would say, that it was one of those games where it could have, I mean, it, it could have gone either way. It looked like Parramatta were in control for much of the game. I'm so impressed at the moment with uh, Arpa Tweedle. He's, mm-hmm. he, there's a lot that, that happens through him when he gets involved in uh, backline play. It's He's got a very good understanding about whether he goes for the short pass or the cutout pass. It just seems to pick the right moment about whether he's going to feed the centre or feed the winger when he chimes in. So he was involved in putting on a couple of tries out there. It was, as I said, it wasn't it wasn't vintage football, but they got back to winning football, and that's gonna that's gonna take them back up to second place on the ladder. And that was really important because we know what second place on the ladder means. That first week by book a ticket right through to that grand final qualifier. Yes, yes. So uh, then that was followed by the Jersey flag. I'm sure the Jersey flag team were very disappointed in how that game turned out because they they copped a little bit of a hiding from the Sharks in that one. And it was... 
Yeah, it wasn't pretty football. They were in a situation the previous week where they were unlucky to lose that first round match against the Raiders. Had some tough calls. You know, I think the penalties were. I think they gave away something like eleven penalties, or they were penalised. I don't know if I'll say gave away, but they certainly conceded eleven penalties in that first week. The jersey flag this week. Uh, you, you, it's you couldn't you couldn't really find any excuses for what was not a great game from them. So they'll be looking to bounce back this week. Um, long day out there at Cabramatta. And for anyone that's interested, we'll get into it this week, but we've had a venue change. So please stick with us as we tell you about that uh, a venue change in the lower grades this week. And let's keep it rolling, 60s, as we get into the news. It is a loaded slate, so let's hit the button. News team, assemble! Yeah, I wasn't kidding when I said it's a loaded slate, mate. We've got a ton of Parramatta news, a ton of NRL news, stuff that is actually landscape-altering in the context of each and every club, each and every player. So let's get right into it with the Parramatta stuff. Uh, we'll talk about some personnel changes. Nathan Brown, he's finally got a release from the club. He's joining the Sydney Roosters effective immediately. He'll probably line up against us in a couple of weeks' time. But, uh, you know, I suppose it's good to have some closure on that. This has been coming for quite some time, hasn't it? It has, and... Look, I don't want to go into some of the stuff that gets rumoured out there about him being out of favour for particular reasons. When Nathan Brown, and let me also point out, I'm not going to do a hatchet job on Nathan Brown because Nathan Brown has been a terrific servant to the club. Mm -hmm. He's been great with supporters. He was instrumental in Parramatta becoming a force again in the NRL. His powerful play, let's face it, he, he reached origin level playing with the Eels. Yeah, his, his 2017 season was very, like, I mean, it's it's underrated by neutrals, but it was truly elite. And he was, you know, 2018, 2019, he was still huge for us. And, you know, more recently, he got a little bit worn down, you know, which happens in rugby league, especially the way he plays. But like you said, it, it's not to besmirch him. He, he had some incredible seasons in the blue and gold. But he... he lost his position in the first grade team last year because his form wasn't as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's just, and that wasn't on one week. That was, that was over multiple weeks. Now I hope for Nathan Brown's sake that he can return to the Nathan Brown that we know, not when he plays against Parramatta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You. yeah. Uh, but Nathan Brown, when he is carrying that football with intent and then he's very difficult to pick whether he's going to look to run through the line, pass before the line, pass in the line. Like that was his threat was you just didn't like, if you held off what he was going to do, you did, you wouldn't know. Now the bloke that we've got at the moment that whilst he's, he's a bit more of a ball player than Nathan Brown still has some similar qualities to mm. Nathan Brown. Uh, Hopgood is one of those triple threats where he's got a running game. He's got a link role that he plays where he he links to the halves. He's also got the offloading contact 
So he can he can pass in contact. He can pass before the line. He can have the defence guessing by just simply running as hard as he can and getting through the line. And that was Nathan Brown at his best as well. Now, Nathan's off to the Roosters. Good luck to him. Not so much good luck when he plays against Parramatta. No, exactly. But, but you know, scrap all the, you know, the 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 rumour and the falling out and all, all that sort of stuff. And you just, you just went on form. And the other thing too is Nathan's, he's struggled this preseason with a hamstring issue and I'm, he'll probably end up playing against Parramatta <laughs> with the way things will work out. Yeah. But, but he hasn't been able to get onto the field in the season thus far due to that injury. So he's probably close to being right, but... Um, I've seen rugby league yeah. miracles before, 60s. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but I think that's probably all that we, we yeah. really want to say on that issue. We just thank Nathan for... Yeah, he, he, had, he had some phenomenal seasons with us, and that, that's the important thing. He's been a big part, like you said, of the Parramatta rebuild, becoming a perennial top four contender. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, you don't like to... You don't like to think of um, people leaving not on the best of terms. We're not privy to whether he's leaving on bad terms or, or good terms, whatever the case. But what we can leave on is the positive memories of what he brought to the club. So we say thanks to Nathan Brown and we wish him well and we move on. Speaking of moving on, one person that won't be is head coach Brad Arthur. There were some stirrings in the press uh, earlier in the week, 60s, about a potential contract re-up and that's been made official as we go to recording today Brad Arthur re-signing as head coach of the Parramatta Reels until the end of 2025 which puts him in line pending anything in between now and then become Parramatta's longest ever tenured head coach which is a pretty significant milestone well I tell you who had gaslit this morning on radio (laughs) (laughs) it was a certain free 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 FC right yeah he uh he was he just went to town about about it, and all I'll say is the bloke has no idea. Yeah, like I mean, that, that, no that's idea. been an insane one-sided grudge for far too long. So, but yeah, the, the less said about that, the better. Because I, I think one of the most beautiful things, and it was reported, I can't remember which journo reported it, but I do know it was true, where they just happened to be at the same restaurant in the Hills District where it was... Jake's um, birthday, wasn't it? I believe. It was a birthday. I think it was Jake's birthday. Yeah, Jake's birthday, I think. Yeah, and uh, Hadley was there, uh, I think, on a birthday celebration as well. But, (laughs) um, uh, yes, BA walked over and uh, said hello (laughs) at the table. Bit of a flex there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, So, um, you know, it's... Look, it's, it's... I don't know why the bloke hates Brad so much, but he does. And he is relentless. Any time the Eels lose a game, he's straight into the coach. It didn't even matter that they made the grand final last oh, year. He, yeah. wouldn't give, he wouldn't give any credit whatsoever. He'll give credit for coaches who achieve far less. And it's, it is the nature of a grudge, I guess. But um, And on, on, look, on the front of Arthur... I mean, we've spoken about it in the past, but it is remarkable that he's managed to not only stick around but be so successful given some of the setbacks and tribulations that have been put in his path time and time again as a young head coach in this competition at the helm of the Parramatta Reels. 
I wish people understood the passion that BA has for the Parramatta Eels. And, look, I get that there's critics out there of BA as a coach who do acknowledge that this is a man that has a passion for his club. It's, and I, and no way am I saying that just because a bloke has a passion for the club, that makes him a good coach. What I am saying is that this is a bloke who goes above and beyond. There's so much that he does for the players individually. And when it's well documented how much the players love him, as a coach and a lot of that has not only to do with the fact that he he doesn't bullshit like he is straight to the point yeah. players players have echoed that that when they want feedback he doesn't he gives them constructive feedback that is not you know he doesn't gloss over things with them he's just straight to the point tells it how it needs to be told told treats them like men and they respect that there's no um i guess emotion associated it just it's just him letting them being straight up with another bloke in giving them feedback about their football and that's appreciated but as i said what's also appreciated is how he goes above and beyond for the players and there's stuff that's documented out there there's a lot of stuff that isn't documented about what he does for the players in that team. Now, here's where I'm really happy with this. Obviously, people know that I rate the bloke because of the fact that he took over a club that was a basket case. That's putting it we'd kindly. Won, <laughs> we'd gone, and that that is being kind because we were back-to-back spoon team. And, and the only... And we only just avoided the spoon, I think, for, the year before. That's we went right. back to that. Yeah. Our reserve grade team, I think, from memory, when he took over as well, were spooners. And when we had our chance to talk to the uh, assistant coaches and we spoke with um, the, the the coaches who were there from the start, the start which was... Um, Peter Gentle and Steve Peter Murphy. Peter Gentle and Steve Murphy. It was... They're quite open in saying it it was a group where they needed to instill the enjoyment of training and that work ethic around training. Because if you're a team that's getting flogged and you had a coach who in Ricky Stewart who openly said multiple times, we are going to get flogged in matches and supporters have to expect this because we haven't got the cattle. I mean, he literally said that. Now, I don't know how you're supposed to respond as a playing group. But you're probably not going to be... Massive vote of confidence uh, from your head coach right there. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be feeling too positive about no. your chances in games. Training's therefore It's going to be a grind. So they've taken this group, uh, and it, I know it's taken many years, but you're talking about a team that's made the finals for the last four years, you're talking about a team that reached last year's grand final. No, they haven't got off to a great start this year, but it's two rounds in. We don't know what the rest of the year has in store. It's not going to have loss after loss after loss in store. Uh, I'm and still confident they, they make a charge in the as, final. As frustrating as the two losses have been, 60s, there's been the, the meat and potatoes of, you know, sold wins in there against two decent teams in the Storm and Cronulla. If, you know, 
that held onto the ball at certain times or made a couple of tackles. So it's not like they're getting absolutely pantsed. It's, you know, just how this competition works sometimes. Yeah, but the 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 thing that I am really, really pleased with in terms of this contract is that it's one year. Now, in just upping for one year, you're not going to get any furor around being locked into like a long-term deal. And that length of the deal also takes out the speculation about his coaching future in that we're not going to get towards the end of this year and have media a media narrative about how BA's contract is up after the following year, that the Eels might start approaching other coaches and just in, in much the same way as it happens with players. Like if you've got players that are about to come into the last year of their contract, all that media speculation starts, that narrative. And it, and it would come up with any coach who's getting towards the end of their contract. If he still keeps that rolling on by one year and, and, and if they're happy with him continuing and it continues to be a one-year upgrade each time it rolls around to this time of year, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. And if they if they reach the point where they go, well, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna upgrade at this stage, well then maybe it might be a bit of a sign that they're looking to make a change. But while ever they've got that stability at the coaching level, and stability's been a big part about the Eels resurgence, mate, I'm gonna be happy. And and let me also point out that Parramatta being as the highly competitive and finals threatening team that they are now is my number one priority as a supporter. I'm, I want the Eels to be in the mix every year. And I wouldn't care if a bloke was passionate about the Eels. If he looked like he wasn't able to get the job done, yeah, I'd be saying that. Depth, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've, I've supported this club for over half a century. I've been going and watching the Eels since the mid-60s, hence the name 60s. Right? If, I, if, if I had a coach that I thought wasn't going to get the job done, my, whether I liked him or, or not as a coach or as a person or the fact that they're passionate about the club, I want the club to win. If we haven't won the title in that many years. It's it's ridiculous. I I actually stopped going to some games in the at the end of Brian Smith's well around that two thousand three two thousand and four mark because oh, I was done with Brian Smith as a coach and it was driving me crazy. Team selections and and some of the stories about that would come out about the texting of players and and all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, you know. They need to change. They need to change badly. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm motivated as a supporter. I want winning, and I believe Brad Arthur is a coach who is going to bring a premiership to the Eels. And whenever, whenever he decides to hang up his boots as a coach, I'm pretty sure of one thing, that is that the club is going to be in a better position at the time when he leaves than it was when he took it over. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone's going to deny that. Yes, sir. Continuing with the good news, 60s, but on a more minor front, uh, the club unveiled 
their official apparel for the multicultural round in a Pacifica training shirt, which I imagine is going to be reimagined to a jersey at some point in the future. It has uh, to be, mate. It yeah. has to be. The club's worked with Samoan artist Tavita Mozzi with input from the Eels Pacifica NRO and NRLW players. Junior Barlow helping launch this 60s. Uh, incorporates Samoan, Tongan, Maori, Fijian, Cook Islands and Indigenous Australian cultural aspects to the jersey design or the shirt design. And I have to say, it's an absolute banger of a shirt and it's a, a really good uh, inclusional step from the club on all fronts. Uh, Junior was very happy with the launch of this and you can see the you know, amount of pride that's gone into this because the, the sponsor integration, the design, the colours, everything is just really, really well done. And this is something where I think outside of the one Anzac jersey where we have, it turned out there was a, it turns out there was a clash in terms of the home and away the, uh, designations of the jerseys that year. Uh, but particularly when it comes to the Indigenous and now the Pacifica stuff, the club has just hit it out of the park time and time again. Yeah, it's oh, – look, there's great media in the club around this. So if you haven't had a chance to check out the media, had the the players talking about the jersey, had the designer talking about the jersey, and what about the passion that he was showing in talking about what – what it meant to him when he mm-hmm. saw that finished product himself, how it turned out. It was, yeah, it, look, if you haven't had the chance to watch the Eels media around the Pacifica jersey, please do so. It's just a training shirt at this stage. They were wearing them last night. It looks sensational out there on the yeah. field. You can only imagine what it's going to be like. I had the chance to speak to some players about the Pacifica jersey through in the um, in the lower grades that are of Pacifica origin and the same. They just think it is a banger of a jersey and cannot wait to have the time when they can wear it in a game. And, so, I mean, this is a huge part of the reason why we love Rugby League is the celebration of that rich fabric of backgrounds that make up the game. And it's it's great to see the Eels at the forefront of it yet again but you can't speak about the positive side of it without looking at the negative 60s, which sort of segues us to our next point where we're, we're sort of dealing still with the fallout from the, was it round two, South Sydney versus the Penrith Panthers? And for whatever reason, there was a, a young man in a Roosters jersey who's been alleged of racially abusing Latrell Mitchell. I think the, the term he called him was a black dog, which it, it if it's true, and you know, you've got to think at this point that it's probably closer to the mark than it isn't, it's just there's no space in the game for this sort of stuff. It's absolutely disgraceful. Mate, when you just related those words, and that was actually news to me because I hadn't been following the subsequent reports when a bit more was known about it, my stomach just turned here and that. It, it, like, it, I felt sick hearing it. That It's that, awful, isn't it? Because oh. and this is what gets me as a – both as a neutral rugby league fan and as a Parramatta fan, Latrell is one of the great characters, one of the great villains of the game. Like there, there are so many things that you can, you know, pop off and, and boo him as a, a fan of a game, but none of it needs to be about race, ever, ever. No, like no. like like I said, he's one of the big characters, and, and he really eats up those big moments, and it's what makes him such a, a villain in the game. In a good, I say villain in a good way. Like a, the game is better for having these villains in there. Uh, oh mate, you only have to yeah, you only have to look at sports entertainment fields like wrestling, where they the, the heels are, are the most they, important they, part yeah. of the story. Exactly, the the baby faces are great, but the heels are what brings it all together. Yeah, and and like even even someone like The Rock, he 
he started off as being the the ultimate heel and then became like an anti-hero yeah. to a full to a full-fledged hero but it was all about the theater i mean that a sport like that is theater yeah right but there you've but got yeah. There you've got Latrell Mitchell, who if he kicks a goal, he turns around and he's saying to the crowd, come on, come so that, on, give that, it that, to me. That big shit-eating grin on his face, you know, because he yes. knows he's gotten the better of the home crowd. Yeah, exactly. Uh, absolutely. Now, what he's basically doing is he's inviting people to boo him. Yep. yep. And, you, and, yeah, boo him. Yeah. Because that's the response that he wants there. But once you start going down that that racial thing, that, that becomes – that's a reflection of what's happening in the mind of people like that. Yeah. Where you then know, unfortunately, there are still those attitudes that are out there. And whilst the majority of us would like to think that we're part of a more enlightened society that's aware of, of wrongs that exist and where thoughts of race don't, cross minds in terms of um, any sort of negativity every so often and this is this is us on the outside of the racism you can imagine what it's like for people who are the subject of it but every so often we're reminded that it's still there it, it just and that's unfortunate that, that's the thing 60s, 60s it just blows my mind coming from what you'd think is a common like sense point of view that how hard is it just to not be a dick to someone because of their background. Like, if, oh. if someone is obviously, uh, you know, rude, a knob, a, you know, a really bad person to you, by all means, you know, attack their character and their makeup like that, but not their background. Like, no. Like, there, there's just no place for it. It, it. Not here, not not football, not work, not anywhere. But unfortunately, there's just this, you know, it, it's pervasive for society for this sort of stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. I, look, I can say, there's probably one other time that I'd seen it personally, like right in front of me at a game. And that was at the old Parramatta stadium. And there was a Parramatta supporter who was given it to one of his own, one of our own players out there. And it was what was coming out of his mouth was vile and sickening. And people were telling him to shut up. And eventually someone went and got security and the bloke was ejected from the ground. And naturally- what was so what was pleasing was the was the the way that people reacted around and him banded and, against and, against it exactly. Yes, and yeah. I suppose that's the the big thing here that needs to be reinforced is that you know this isn't a case where a couple of bad apples will spoil the entire bunch. We we mentioned the positives of Parramatta's involvement in the Pacifica stuff here. By and large, rugby league is an incredibly inclusive community where it celebrates so much of the rich fabric that makes it. But uh, by that same token, we need to be quite aggressive in, in squashing these, you know, idiots that want to pedal uh, you know, bigotry against not just stars but any player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, could, I mean, we yeah, we sort of feel, and we were talking about this before the podcast about what sort of uh, airspace that we give this before uh, we started the podcast, and we decided it was a, it was a topic that we needed to talk about. Mm-hmm because of how how we felt and we don't feel this as um although what i just said may sound like that we felt that it was an obligation it no it's how we felt it was a, it's that feeling of this is just wrong i mean we know 
we know that that it it goes with it should go without saying that it's wrong but i mean that we were just so reviled by what happened yeah. that we could not not say something so it's just a, it's it's a the bare minimum of common decency that should be shown to your fellow man and woman when it comes to these sort of things so i mean i imagine that listeners to the tip sheet are not the people we need to be uh, appealing to for this sort of thing but just in general, you know, like there is so much great about rugby league and society, but you know, when these bad apples come out, you got to get rid of them. So, uh, absolutely, that's it. We'll move on there. More serious stuff to talk about those sixties. Thankfully, no more racism. But uh, we'll start with the judicial fallout from round two. On the back of Wade Graham copping a pretty lengthy suspension in round one, we've got uh, Jacob Saifidi and Scott Drinkwater spending five and three weeks on the sidelines, respectively, on the back of some high shots in their games. So uh, it looks like the dare I say. Yeah, MRC and the judicial judiciary's got a little bit of consistency going on at the moment. Just a little bit. Like knock on wood, cross your fingers. You know how I feel about coming out too early with opinions <laughs> yeah. on on the judiciary and NRL decisions. Oh, man, I don't know what to say. Honestly, I don't look that Saifidi tackle was it was brutal. We know it was we know it happened so quickly because it was almost a case of blink and you miss it, but you wouldn't have so. missed it, but you don't didn't miss hearing it. Even if you turned your eyes away from the screen for a moment, just the sound of the tackle was enough to know this is a bad one. And it didn't yeah, help that it, it was a like a one ninety five centimeter prop against a like a what one eighty. I don't know how how uh, tall his victim was. But he wasn't that tall, so it was a. Big mismatch physically, which was only ever again, only only ever going to end one way, unfortunately. Yeah, but of course, the we've got to try to get the those sort of high tackles out of the game because that really brings us to that next topic. Yeah, about, well, the, uh, the the literally the cause and effect, right? If you get a high shot, invariably it's going to lead to concussions. And speaking of the Newcastle Knights, uh, it looks like Kalen Pong was dealing with some pretty serious concussion side effects to the point where. Uh, there are elements of the media that are sort of speculating that it could be potentially a career-ending slide from here, uh, but we haven't really got anything substantive to that. But I think Paul Kemp was sort of discussing it on 360. And th- this is the, the new reality, isn't it, that we're taking these concussions seriously as we should, which means that player is going to have to retire early. We saw uh, in, in our, on our own books a couple of years ago uh, the back roll we got from the Titans 60s. Keegan Hipgrave it was who had that one really solid season with us, but then retired on the back of it because I think late in the season he took a heavy blow to the head trying to score a try, if I'm not mistaken, and that just shook him up badly. And, and he made a very important, but I, I cannot knock it because in terms of long-term health, I think the right call to retire and that this is the new reality for rugby league players and for prof- professional sport players in contact fields. Yeah, I think Keegan has career ambitions outside of football and as you said he made what was I guess in in many respects a logical decision he would have been hurting emotionally about having to stop playing and I think there was evidence to that effect in his own posts on social media about um, going away from football but it's a common sense decision so and that was really from one major concussion towards the end of that particular season that ended up, I, I 
can't recall what his history of concussions was. Yeah, from his time with the Titans and whatnot. But yeah, that. Yeah. But I, I'm not. But I think from memory. That might have been his only one. At least, us. at least the only noticeable one. The thing with concussions is that they're often they're cumulative, and there's like micro concussions that add up. So, when you're in a contact sport like rugby league, you can get a lot of like smaller concussions, I suppose. But in terms of very overt, obvious ones, that was the one that really jumped out to me as a spectator. I think when you start to get into those realms where the player is concussed in what looks like relatively easy. Um, scenarios like where you go oh how's a concussion happened there that's when you know that there's a a major problem that's there and and it's it's such a delicate balance for the code too because obviously in our game against Cronulla Quentin Gufferson at a a pretty critical juncture early in the game where we had momentum end up being put into the concussion protocols when there was nothing to the contact and the Sharks hit back and end up taking the lead 12-10 but that's sort of like the stuff that will come out in the wash with the new protocols where, yes, the Eels did get hurt in that in that particular instance, but the, the game's got to be probably overly cautious about how it treats its players. Yep, so now we've got that breaking news. Yeah, and as, as we sort of went to press the record button, I just did a, one last sweep of the news to make sure that our uh, tip sheet for the tip sheet uh, was up to date. And, yeah, the NRL's come out with a mandate that is effective immediately, which is going to change the landscape of this game as I sort of hinted at the start of the podcast uh, that from henceforth anyone that has a cat one which I believe is the most the most serious concussion uh, or the initial concussion diagnosis on the sidelines uh, will have a mandatory stand down period of 11 days for recovery so that takes place starting with kickoff against the Seagulls for Parramatta Eels Thursday night round three so any concussions in this game will be subject to or any serious concussions be subject to a mandatory 11-day stand-down, which for most weeks will probably cost you uh, two games for a player. You can see some major fallout happening from this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for the players being as the game being as made as safe as possible for the players. But you can just see a scenario where there's going to be a big game and a player is going to be rule to have a category one and there's going to be controversy around it. There's going to be controversy around the games that are missed. You you know, this 11 days, is that, I, I don't, I'm not really up on what is the appropriate period to stand down because well, that's the thing, is, I'm sure is, in boxing, in boxing, and I know that's a sport where people are being hit in the head as the part of the sport. But I'm sure their stand down period is something like three months. Mm. Now, does that mean? Because to me, uh, again, I'm not a, I'm not, I've got no medical qualifications. I haven't looked into it. But would eleven days satisfy? A neurologist or yeah. you know, someone that's an expert in the field? That's a very good question. And that that's one... The, the sporting codes, rugby league, NFL, all of them, you know, like soccer slash football, uh, when it just comes to hitting the ball, it, it is a almost like an arms race where you're adapting to every bit of, you know, or scrap of news you're getting of professional insight when it comes to concussions because we, we're learning more and more as the weeks, months and years go by and we've just been as 
quickly reactive as possible, I suppose, as as coach. You've been as agile as possible. And this is obviously a step towards the right direction in terms of player welfare. But like you said, 60s, uh, is it enough? Like, obviously, it's going to hurt teams in some critical games in the finals or getting into the finals when a player gets sidelined of cat one. But is 11 days enough as a response? If, you, if you're going to make this step, does it need to be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks? Does it need to be three months like in boxing? So yeah. Well, I, I just wonder now, once this has been brought in, that whether it opens the door for further discussion from expert medical advice and that it becomes the path to a long stand-down period like that and then what we start talking about, the, the more we're talking about mandated periods out of the game and we think about how often there are concussions in the game, We this is again something that we spoke about before we started recording. What does that mean for having a top 30? Yeah, top 30. I mean, even on game day 60s, like how many like reserves should you be entitled to if we're taking concussions so seriously? Should, is is one enough? Is two enough? Do we need three or four? Do you need like a bench for your bench? Uh, with the top 30, do we need to go to a top 36, a top 40? Because the other thing too is like they're, they're talking about the player market sustainability. We've got 17 teams with talks of expansion to 18 and maybe 20 at some point. Uh, so the player pool can only be so deep. But if clubs need to be on a top 36, a top 40 in order to cover for concussions, you know, the, can we do it? Well, I think there's the proverbial can of worms that has been opened. And we know that there are issues about player safety that are a priority. We also would have to recognise that the NRL as a code, as an organising body, are looking at safeguarding themselves against potential litigation. Mm -hmm. And they might say that that's a minor consideration that sits below player safety, but they it, it's also logical that they have that responsibility and if they don't if they aren't seen to be taking action, if they don't seen uh, they aren't seen to have certain protocols and around this issue, then they do leave themselves open to litigation. Are we going to start hearing more from Phil Gould now <laughs> He's on this been, topic? Yeah, well, for those that aren't in tune, Gould's been very vocal against uh, concussion protocols or all of that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what his reaction to this is. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the welfare of the code, welfare of players, and these are important steps, but it's about finding that right balance. So uh, it's difficult. You know, I don't think anyone knows the right answer. And I think any move that you make is going to have backsides or downsides or drawbacks. Uh as much as it's doing right things. So that's just the reality of, you know, sort of adapting to a situation as it evolves. Yeah. So, mate, it's... Well, let's just knock on wood that there's no serious concussions for us or the Seagulls on Thursday night and indeed across the entire round of football moving forwards because that's one thing that I think we can all get on board with is uh, don't be a racist dickhead and let's not have concussions to all our players. Yeah, yeah. So... Mate, like big, such big news coming out of the NRL this week. It's a, it's massive. Yeah, it's absolutely I mean, it is landscape altering, uh, seismic sort of stuff. And uh, on a, we go back to a smaller scale here. If we hit you with the big hammer, Boven, 
softened up with some good news. Let's talk Junior Rugby League for a second 60s because the Parramatta District is about to get into the swing of things. Yes, they are. It's look, it's it's coming up to the launch of the of the season now. For those people that aren't aware, the Junior Rugby League registrations in the Parramatta District are open at the moment, and that's because the season kickoff happens on the weekend of the of the 28th to the 30th of April. So the first matches are on the Friday night and going through to the Saturday, depending on whether you're playing in the Saturday competition or the Sunday competition. But they're taking registrations. It is a great initiative. Well, I shouldn't say initiative. It, look, it's just great for the community, Junior Rugby League. We've had the pleasure of talking to junior a number of Junior Rugby League clubs. We'll continue to do that on the Cumberland throw. But the thing that really comes across with all of the junior rugby league clubs is what they do for their communities and how the focus isn't on producing the next NRL player, but producing better citizens, just all round good people who have, who put a priority on what they can do for the community and maybe get that message of giving back as as part of their DNA, anyone that's involved in a junior rugby league club. So there's, I think from memory, there's something like 29 junior clubs in the Parramatta District Junior a, Rugby it's League. It's a mammoth community, isn't it? It's just huge. It, it is a mammoth community. And in conjunction with the start of the season coming up, there is an exciting day where they have the official scene, the official season launch, which is on the 25th of March, and it's at Combank Stadium. And here's the great thing. All registered junior rugby league players get to attend this fun day that's part of the launch. So if you are registered, if your child is registered as an under-six player, they can you can front up with your children to Combat Stadium from one o'clock till four o'clock on Saturday the twenty fifth of March. Now the proviso is you have to be your child has to be registered as a junior player by Thursday the twenty third of March. You can't front up there on the day and say I want to register my child and then come into the event. They actually need to be registered by the 23rd of March, which is the Thursday before. So if they're registered, let me let me just share with you some of the stuff that you get on that day. So you get a tour of the stadium. You get to see the change rooms that the NRL players use every week. You get to have a photo with the, your team, so your junior rugby league team. There will be some NRL players there that you'll get to meet. You'll get to run out onto the stadium through the tunnel like an NRL player. How good, how exciting would that be for your young son or daughter to be involved with that? And and given that we have an NRLW team that is did so well last year in making the grand final, that we have Ta- a Tasha Gale team and a Lisa Fiola Cup team i think it's fantastic that it doesn't matter whether you've got a son or you've got a daughter 
they can be playing for a junior rugby league club and they can have experiences like this. Now, the other things that they've got on the day are things like face painting. They've got balloon artists. They've got the big inflatable um, play areas that they can be part of. There's kicking challenges, passing games, a whole lot more. So get in touch with your junior club. Follow the Eels Junior Rugby League Facebook page as well because you get more details on that. And uh, 40, I'll be down there on the day as as part of that. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all the all the happy young six-year-old faces that are there having the time of their lives getting involved in footy. And just before I wrap up on that, I get to see the young players that are out there learning the game, being part of football when I'm down there watching Eels training that's that's held later in the day. And it's the Kellyville Bush Rangers that are up there. They share the facilities. But again, they were there last night, the young players in their pre-seasons, uh, lots of different age groups that are down there. In previous weeks, we've been down there when uh, there's been pre-season for the female players at the club, for for the uh, under-16s, under-8... Like, the under-16s, under-18s last week, there was something like 40 players out there doing their pre-season across those two age groups, uh, just in the boys' area. And uh, I think the week before that, we saw... I can't remember exactly how many, but there was a huge number of girls that were there to be taken through pre-season training. And for some of them, it was their first experience with... Um, with playing rugby league, but they're out there, they're giving it a crack. It's just so good to see the the game having that many young players that are fronting up for their pre-seasons. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens with registrations this year, but the indications that I've seen, and it, and yes, I know it's only with the one club that I just happened to, to be there while they're training, but it looks so busy up there. So it's a, it's a great sign for... Uh, rugby league, it's yeah, great time for the, for the Parramatta Juniors. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the Junior Sixties, let's swing on to the preview portion of the podcast. Starting with the Junior Representatives, no Tash Gow this week, but the Lisa Fiola Cup is in action for week two of their four-week program, followed by the Harold Matthews and the SG Ball. Now, just as a cautionary word of advice here, there is a little bit of confusion about the scheduling here. Uh, it is a series of games out at Four Pines Park, aka Brookvale Stadium, on Saturday. Uh, but right now... <laughs> They've got the SG ball listed at 1.30 p.m. kickoff, the Harold Matthews at 1 p.m. kickoff, and the, the sorry, the Lisa Fiola at an 11 o'clock kickoff, right, 60s? Uh, no, 10 no, o'clock. 10 o'clock. So working backwards from that, or uh, working forwards from that Lisa Fiola kickoff, which we think is correct, at 10 o'clock would put the Harold, Harold Matts kicking off 11.30 and the SG ball at 1 o'clock, uh, but those are not confirmed. So just bear that in mind for those that do want to attend or follow the coverage. Uh, but let's, uh, we haven't got a team list for the Lisa Fiola 60, so let's move on to the Harold Matthews, uh, where the Eels come out of that by looking to continue their momentum. At fullback, it's Corey Lay, Dom Ferruja, and Larima Rokosuka on the flanks. Alma Seve and Lachlan Vela in the centres. Junior Fangalele and Lorenzo Talatina in the halves. In the front row, it's Jordan Uta and Mikhail Tito in the front row slots. Zaitis Mwangututia at dummy half. Back row, Anthony Abdo, Captain Josiah Funaluta, and lock forward Tyson Sangalang. On the interchange, Lachlan Koinakis, Jack Nicholas, Junior Siali, Mason Ong, 
reserve is Brendan Navarro. And like I said, we think this kickoff is 11.30 p- uh, a.m., not 11.30 p.m., uh, but we've got to sort of keep that in mind that it could be uh, subject to change. Just looking at the ladder quickly, 60s, uh, Eels obviously coming off that buy, which consolidated their position inside the top two right now. Four wins, one loss, one buy. They're chasing the Canterbury Bulldogs. Manly, on the other hand, not doing so hot in this grade. They've been very strong in the uh, Harold Matson SG Bourne last couple of years, but in this particular season, from their five starts, just two, no, zero wins. <laughs> that's that's points, not wins. Uh, they've picked up a win for a buy, uh, points for a buy. They are zero and five on the season. So, uh, like I said, you don't take these games for granted. But if the Eels are serious about pushing into the finals, consolidating a top two spot, and maybe catching the Bulldogs at some point, this is a game they've got to put in the bank. Uh, not just put in the bank, but and you also don't want teams to go out there and thinking they've got to score, score, score. Yeah, we've seen it in the past. That, that takes away from their main focus, which is to work through their processes for the win. But um, you do want the differential to yep. be maximised where possible. And we've seen where all through the junior reps this season – and it's not necessarily unexpected, but the thro- the foot goes off the throat and teams are allowed back into games via errors or just through ordinary passages of play. I think it's fair to say that the teams haven't been able to put together two great halves in the one game. Mm-hmm. We've, seen, we've seen excellent... Passages oh, of outstanding passages very, very good, very, very good halves of football. But in terms of just simply smashing an opponent, it's it's probably come more in bursts at different times in the game rather than yeah, very uh, fair. You know, like a, a totally S- dominant dominant periods of play. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, the big out ocean. Yeah, big. Uh, he's. I think. I don't think it's unfair to say uh, that he's probably yep. been their their best player on the season. And a team has got some very good players. I mean, fullback Corey Way has been really rock solid. Dom Ferruja on the flanks has been outstanding. Uh, Junior and Lorenzo on the halves have been dynamite when the Eels have held on to the ball as a team. And then that that forward pack has been full of hard workers with uh, Zadis Mwanga Tutia offering something really special out of dummy half at times too. He is. When you talk about players that you sort of like earmark, you look at players that are either outstanding talents or just offer something very different. And Zadis definitely falls into definitely the latter, but maybe a little bit of the former too. So there's been some good um, Can I just give you a little insight there? I had uh, the opportunity to speak to Larry about his brother. That's that, that's his big brother for, for those who aren't following along. Larry is in our Jersey Flag program. Yeah, that's right. Now, I'm sure he doesn't mind me if, if I share this, that I said to him that... I was really impressed with how Zadis plays what's in front of him. Like he's always looking up yep. at at what opportunities are there rather than thinking, you know, I've got to play this play or that play. And as the as the person on the field who handles the ball a lot more than others, uh, that's that's a big call to have to make. And he said that he has a background in touch. You can see it, can't you? Yeah, getting out of dummy yeah. half with your eyes up, looking at where the markers are, where the defense is. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, you, yeah. So I think that's a bit of an insight into 
uh, where some of that uh, footballing sense or footballing intelligence comes from is is that instinct of looking around. It's just it's it's part of who he is. It's part of his football DNA. So um, yeah, and 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 look, the same is really true of uh, Matty Arthur in the SG ball. We um, we often see from him that getting to dummy after you can see him looking around and the opposition find it hard to predict what he's about to do. And it's really the um, Zaitis is, look, he's built completely differently to um, Matt Arthur. As a dummy half, he has got a fascinating build because he is tall, uh, probably on the rangier side right now, but you can see it's a frame they might grow into. So, Oh, so. he's he is going to be, um, if, he's, if he doesn't stay at dummy half, you could imagine that he's going to be, a, he's still going to be a ball player of some yeah. In description. That, I mean, because, that, that lock four position, perhaps that's been so popular, having those yeah. you know very talented ball handlers at 13. But uh, yeah. to circle it all back to where we started, 60s, uh, Ocean absent from the team, he has been a dominant force as a, a player in his junior year of eligibility in the Harold Matthews, which is uh, very similar to what Sam Tuovati did a few years back in this grade. So, it's, I mean, it's always jaw-dropping when you see a young forward doing the sort of things that those two players have done in their respective campaigns. But, yeah, for the Eels, still a very well, well-rounded well team here. And it just comes down to holding the ball. Like you said, don't get caught up in trying to score too many points, uh, you know, too quickly, which we, we've seen in both grades or all three grades, even in Tashkau too at times, not just this season, but as a, you know, a long-term commentary sort of thing where you know you should be beating this team so you're going to score points easily, but then it just ends up bogging you down. Hold on to the ball, go through your sets, go through your structures, and the points will come. I'll tell you what, what I enjoyed most from their game against the Raiders, which was that was like that would have been their last. That was their last outing, yeah. Yeah, so there was their goal line defense. Yes, sir. It was that was something else. Just yeah, the coach, way Coach Chris Howell would have yeah. loved that. That would have been by far and away the most important aspect of that win. Well, and the thing was, it's not as if they were playing. A chump you know, any chumps yep. in that grade. It was that that was for them to hold on like they did and defend like they did and, and build a win out of that defense said a lot for what their mindset was in that game and maybe where they're heading towards now. Again, we come back to they cannot go and look at where the seagulls are on the table. They just cannot allow that to happen. So um, I think if they just, you don't want to say stick to the processes as a junior team because you you don't want them to be robots. No, and way, this is a you? team, we mentioned the halves in, in Fungalele and Talatina as well as uh, Zaitis himself. They absolutely will play heads-up football. If there are opportunities there yeah. to strike, they will. But in saying that, you know, don't be afraid to use your structures and use your shapes to establish yourself in this game. Yeah, I'm. I hearken back to a game a number of years ago, but uh, it was a game over at Cabramatta, and it was from memory. It might have been the SG Ball team playing West Australia, the the Pirates, Perth, the Pirates. Yeah, and the score ended up something like ninety six to nil in a, a junior game of rugby league, but 
in that in such a high score line, there wasn't any crazy throwing the ball around. Yeah. Like they they literally went through their uh, shapes, their plays, their uh, every there was the structure that was there. They were getting the breaks from that. They weren't throwing any crazy ball, thinking we're about to get a a, a score. They played disciplined football and still put on 96 points against an opponent an opponent which was inferior on the day but you've see where they teams can come up against inferior opponents and all of a sudden they're like oh we're, we're going to throw the ball around we're going to have a bit of fun out here and that can take away from what they actually might need to achieve yes sir uh, let's uh, move on to the final game of that free game slate in the SG Ball Cup 60s Eels taking on the Seagulls, obviously. In this grade, Eels entered the round in uh, equal uh, second, sorry, uh, with Panthers and Eels splitting the second place on the ladder behind the Raiders. Manly, again, uh, not a great season for them in the SG Ball. Five outings, two points, one coming from win, no buys in this particular one, so they're one and four on the season. So on paper, again, another very winnable game for the Parramatta Eels, not taking anything for granted, obviously. The team shapes up like this at fullback. We've already given it a big wrap, but Upper Tweedle, who I believe posted on socials about a uh, contract extension with the club. So good to see the if that's the case, the club moving swiftly to lock in one of the real big surprise packets in a good way uh, in the SG Ball. On the flanks, Tavaka Pulu, uh, Palu sorry, and Muhammad Alamadine in the centres. Patrick Spence and Devonto Vivella still waiting for Richard Penasini to get back 60s. Hopefully he's not too far away. In the halves, Ethan Sanders, Joshua Lynn, very strong pairing there. Front row, we see some of the um, first significant change to the team. Uh, Sam Tulvati and Matt Arthur, well, they've been staples in the starting front row on the 8 and 9 jersey, respectively, but there is no Saxon Pryke this week. I'm not sure if it's injury or suspension. We're not really informed on those things. There is no official uh, discourse from the New South Wales Rugby League for these sort of matters, but LeBron Tuile gets his number cord, mate. That's a big, big decision. Uh, I think he was, he's been trending upwards uh, probably since that Canberra loss, but he, he was a bit better last week. Uh, but he gets his first start, I believe, of the season. In the back row, we see another change with the two of the Stratus boys united in the starting team for the first time this year, Dom and Raf on the edges. They've both been very, very good, and we can't speak highly enough about them as footballers and young men. And then captain of the team at lock forward, Charlie Geimer. On the interchange, William Lewis, Lance for Lima, Kobe Herford, and Sebastian Piacala. So a very big and robust bench there. Sam Squire is the reserve. Mate, I mean, for a start, it's... Congratulations to the Destratus boys to have the starting positions next to each other out there on the field. Well, not actually next to each yeah. other on the field, but when they back down in a scrum. Fe- fe- yeah, theoretically next to each other, exactly. But it seemed to be that um, when one's had an injury, the other has been in the game and they, you know, like they've played excellent football, but it's they haven't been in the starting lineup together too often in, over the last couple of years but they are both very very good footballers and whether it's Dom or Raf that takes the field in the matches throughout the season it's they've put in cracking performances so um, I look very pleased about that interesting with LeBron it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets that's a big one isn't it? we know that Lance can be caught upon for extended minutes off the interchange, and they've also beefed it up with Kobe and Sebastian uh, backing up in the middle forwards there. So there, there's plenty of options for rotations, but does he sort of get like a free reign to really go hard for 10 to 15 minutes and then get subbed, or will they count on him to 
go closer to what we get from our starting middles usually, which would be 20 plus minutes? Well, I'm trying to think back to uh, his matches this year coming off the interchange. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he just comes on for the one stint. Maybe that's, there's that's a little bit case. either. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's been either. Maybe there's been situations where it's been either side of half time, but I I don't recall two separated stints. I, I could be corrected there, but in starting the game, you have to think that the plan is there that he's going to have two stints in the match. Um, one to start, maybe one to finish, or or maybe one at the start of the second half again. I guess it depends on how he's tracking during the match. What I find unusual is, given Manly's track record over recent times, that both of their teams are having pretty pretty ordinary sort of seasons. Yeah, they've been very strong in the mats and the ball across the last few seasons. Uh, largely on the back of having a couple of essentially superstar players in the grades and then you know, just having solid players around them. But, yeah, it's been a big departure from that this year where they're one win from the two grades combined. Maybe they're going through a bit of a transition period because I did watch their 16s squad and uh, there seemed to be, like in the development squad game, and from memory there are some players there that I th- I sort of noted that look like they have some futures in the game. But, yeah, for them to... Because uh, their first-grade team has a number of players that have come through their juniors, um, whether it be recruits from Western Sydney or locals, but they've still had very strong junior rep teams. And, yeah, this is quite a surprise. I don't want Parramatta in any way to take them for granted because there will undoubtedly still be Western Sydney boys in their team. And we know that that's going to cause them to lift as much as they can with a point to prove that, uh, you know, whether they've been ignored or whether they've made the decision themselves, they want to vindicate their own abilities. And uh, yeah, it makes it always makes it interesting for Eels and Seagulls games. I'm going to tip that they get, uh, all three matches this week, including the Lisa Fiola Cup. So nice. Uh, I yeah, I've got. I, I think the Harold Mats are building into their season, and I think the SG Ball maybe that loss against the Raiders and the way that the Raiders were able to put on too many points in the back end of that game. I think that would have hurt their pride a little bit. We've got too many good players that are in the team. And uh, we've got probably one of the best spines that you'd see in the competition. So, uh, and that's even with uh, Blaze still being on the sidelines. And he's, I think he's due to come back or be ready to come back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, so they've got Blaze and I uh, just mentioned before, hopefully Richard Pensini to come back. And missing from this week's team list that we didn't talk about, but Cody Parry, uh, who is a big out, but he'll be back hopefully before the finals as well. Yeah, so a number of outs, but still performing very well, still sitting up in a prime position where if they get, if they can get these last three wins of the season and finish top two, gee, that's a huge advantage to go straight through the grand final qualifier. So, uh, but mate, that's uh, 
that takes care of the Saturday, but before that, we've got Friday night now. Yeah, so there was, a, speaking of confusion when it comes to scheduling, uh, there was some confusion when I was putting together Team West Tuesday on this front because our club had it listed as Flag Saturday, uh, HE Leibart Field, 12.20 p.m. kickoff, uh, and the New South Wales Cup on Friday night, 7.30 p.m. kickoff at the same venue. Uh, but I believe the Seagulls had it correctly listed as 6 o'clock kickoff on Friday for the Jersey Flag. So it's a double header yeah, out that, at HE Leibart. I believe it all came through at the last minute. <laughs> I, popped, I popped into flag training yesterday and uh, I, at that stage I hadn't, I hadn't taken too much notice of the uh, team list details in terms of the venue because that's what, that was actually the last thing I was looking at. And I said, look, I'll see you out there on, on Saturday. And they said, well, that'd be fine except we're playing Friday. And uh, they said, look, the change actually has just come through. So, um, yeah, last-minute stuff, change of venue from – uh, no change of venue, but change of day and time. So the match is now being Friday night, HE Labutt Reserve out of Blacktown. Yes, indeed. And obviously in both grades, Flag and Cup Eels are hunting for their first wins of the season. Let's start with the Flag 60s. Got a couple of changes this week, actually, surprising. Uh, well, not, not surprising in the context of you know being 0-2, but surprising in as what's happened with both grades. But we'll start at fullback. New face, Lindsay Munro. Um, I believe he joins us by way of MacArthur, is what I saw in the back in when I was doing the background checks here. I think he was a bit of a try scoring machine last year in grade footy. On the flanks, Bo Newlands and Lene Federica will run the sidelines. Will Latu and Terrell Williams are in the centres. Halves are unchanged with Mac uh, Mac Porfisi and Riley Lack running the six and seven respectively. Brock Parker, well, that's, this is one to monitor because he's named in both grades, but he is named to start in the jersey flag. He'll partner the big hyphen Jonte Junior Bevan Misa. Jacob Davis gets his first start at dummy half after working off the bench in the first two rounds. In the back row, Captain Jock Brazzles on one edge, Max Tupo on the other. Nicholas Lenars, he didn't get demoted from dummy half. Instead, he's starting at lock forward as the Eels go a bit more smaller and mobile 60s. On the interchange, Noah Reed, Lachlan Mears-Crab, Nick Al-Raffor, Ned Hicks, 18th man, Tyson Chase. They're taking on the Manly Warringah Seagulls. So if I just quickly pull up the ladder, did they have a bye early on? Not sure. Jersey Flag Cup. If it, if it fitted no, with their... <laughs> they're, they're the only other team that's 0-2 in this competition. So someone's getting off the bottom of the ladder one way or the other this week. Uh, yep, yep. Well, it's... Uh, I think Will Latu... Was he... Sus- I think he was suspended after the first round and missed last week. Possibly, yeah. You did mention coming out of that game that you thought there was a suspension coming. So yeah, Well, there was that many players that were put on report for... High tackle, I, but I think he—I think he might have got done for a lifting tackle, from memory. But yeah, that first round there was eleven penalties, and a lot of them were were coming in the uh, tackle itself. So yeah, so that wouldn't have surprised. Um, yeah, you mentioned about the uh, Nick Lanaz moving to lock, and Jacob Davis moving to dummy half. Nick Lanaz, high work rate, and I think you. Maybe this is being reflected as well when we get to talking about the New South Wales Cup because they've had a, a similar shift in uh, dummy half and and lock sort of areas. So um, I think they they want that work rate of Nick Lanaz and Jacob Davis has been coming off the bench and has been 
in the times that he's come on, he's injected a lot of pace around that dummy half. He's he, he doesn't mind having a bit of a dart out of the out of that position. Uh, he asks he asks questions with his running game, and I think they might be after a bit of that there, whilst not losing the work rate of Nick Lanaz. And and Nick Lanaz is a slightly bigger body than Jacob Davis as well, so he's got that capacity where if they want to uh, rest Nick, that they could um, they could just do a bit of a swap. They, yeah, exactly. they wanted to, so um, yeah. But uh, you've then you've got, I guess, a bloke that I think has been one of their best so far, Brock Parker, joining uh, Jonte Junior on the bench uh, on the uh, front row, starting front row there. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes this week because last week was not good. You know, there you can't sugarcoat what their performance was like. So they need to find something. They need yep. to errors, mate. Errors. And I know it sounds like a broken record going on about it, but rugby league really boils down to how much can you, you know, sort of stem the bleeding of your own errors at times, especially in you know flag and cup. Uh, but yeah, so they've just been making themselves the victims really on the back of our penalties and errors, and it's no surprise that they're zero and two to start the season given the, the high amount of those, uh, both penalties and errors they've conceded. Yeah. The first, that first week, they, even with the errors, they were the better team and should have won. But if they just had eliminated just a couple of key errors, it, they probably would have won easy in the first round against the Raiders. Last week, those errors, the Sharks were too good and they just... I mean, they just ended up making a mess Can't of them. We running away for it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, like to see a bounce back this week. I think they can. Um, you've mentioned Manly's got their own issues at the start of the season. You can't take it for granted in any way, but you'd like to think that they're going to be, um, you know, up for the bounce back. Notice Manly's got a few playing positions that haven't even been. Yeah, uh, notified as yet. The the this I think is just a, a feature, quote unquote, of the New South Wales rugby league system at the moment is that all these uh, vacant spots in these team lists. So, uh, yeah. well, I think the teams have to be um, notified by they have to put in their team list by a certain time, and you have to assume in some instances they're not sure whether a player can take the field or not, and haven't made a final decision on what they're going to do. And, um, yeah, hence we get empty places on the team list page. So, anyway, mate, they're the, they're the prelude to the, the New South Wales yeah, Cup. The Cup, which kicks off 7.30pm HE Laybart Field, Friday night. Another team list with a fair bit of shaking up happening 60s between injuries and uh, looks like just moving the, the pieces around to see if we can get stuff ignited. Probably the biggest surprise at fullback, Arthur Miller-Steven, he was absent from the flag list because he's been promoted to the New South Wales Cup. Hasn't had... I mean, he's a good player. He hasn't had the, probably the best start the season he would have liked. But now he gets a chance to put it all behind him with a, a strong performance in his Cup debut. He'll see the team around from fullback on the flanks. You've got Isaac, Lumi Lumi and Hayes Dunster. Big inclusion here. Get our first look at Dejan Arce as a Parramatta Real 60s. Was in that moon boot for a few weeks, but looks like he's back to play. He'll partner Zach Sini in the centres. Rankin is the captain. He moves from fullback to the halves where he'll partner 
Jake Arthur as the 5'8", obviously Arthur the halfback, that means. In the front row, we've got another change here. There's no Kai Rodwell. He was named on the extended NRL bench, spoilers there, but that looks like it was just a clerical error. I imagine he's injured or suspended. Uh, he's not present this week, which means Ovicky Ogden will be partnered by Luca Moretti, who was probably the Eels' best in that big loss to the Newtown Jets. He didn't stop trying and had some really big impact plays. Brendan Hands is at dummy half as the changes continue to roll on. Uh, he'll take over from 5'8 to dummy half. We've got this cascading start from fullback to 5'8 to dummy half to lock forward, where Jaden Yates moves from dummy half to lock forward. So just these flowing changes. Tony Mattaioli holds his spot in the starting team. He's been good for the Eels across those two losses. Dan Keir moves from lock forward to the edges. On the interchange, Mitch Rain, Tavita Taumapenu, another one that I thought was pretty solid against the Jets in that loss. Nico Apelu, and then Brock Parker named on the interchange here, 60s. Now, when this game was originally scheduled by the Eels to be on Saturday, it made sense that he would be on the bench because if he didn't play, he could back up into the jersey flag. I don't know what this now means for either of these two teams, if Brock is playing flag or if he's playing cup. So I have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, I I guess he's probably more likely to be playing flag, but, I mean, you just don't know, do you? I mean, it, it's... Um, just on the on some of those changes, uh, you uh, mentioned Arthur Miller Stephen at the uh, fullback position. The form of the team in Jersey Flag probably hasn't given him an opportunity to shine thus far. So it'll be he did the he was one of the players involved in the preseason for the NRL. In the in that time before Christmas, so he was part of that group of about fourteen or fifteen of the uh, young players that were up there. Arguably the fastest player in the club, he, he'd be right up there. He's certainly the fastest in the Jersey Flag team, and I I'm actually struggling to think um, if there's anyone faster than him. It, for him to be fastest in the Jersey flag, he's faster if he's faster than Bo Newlands as well. He's got some wheels, think, yeah. Yeah, he's got some serious wheels. Uh, so yeah, he could be easily one of the fastest. Um, so that's an interesting inclusion there, and it's, I guess, it's around what are they trying to get out of the halves because. They've moved Rankin from fullback to the 5'8 role. And you've got Brendan Hands, who's gone from 5'8 to dummy half. I think, like, my guess is it's similar to the Jersey flag, where Yates has an unbelievable motor. Like, as a workhorse, he's just, he just doesn't stop. So he could adequately fill that sort of role at lock. It's like they don't want to lose. They want to inject maybe someone slightly faster out of dummy half, and I don't think I don't think Yates has done anything that other than impress out of dummy half so far. But they must want something different. I mean, Nate this could Taylor's just be, must want something different. Yeah, a configuration that keeps your core players in the starting lineup too. Uh, you know, Brendan Hans has done a pretty decent job at five eight, so keeping him in the starting lineup at dummy half, and maybe they'll share responsibilities because Hans has played lock forward for the Eels too. Uh, yes, he played that last year, so this could just be a case of uh, sharing the responsibilities at nine and thirteen, respectively. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's it's interesting. They have to find something, mate. 
they really do because we covered that match on TCT. You were blogging it for the um, for those who couldn't get to the ground early, and it was an ordinary performance, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, they they gave us a little bit of hope. They had a slow start, managed to fight their way. Sorry, fight their way back, and then the second half was just one way traffic. It was brutal. They are uh, the Jets had a speaking of speed. Was it Stone Shard sixties? Was that his name? Stone Street. Stone Street uh, on yep. that right edge, and he just scorched us. He had some serious wheels, uh, but yeah, just oh, the, the fundamentals were all wrong. Have you ever seen someone that looks more destined to be an NRL star than Stone Street? Yeah, well, he's he was named in the fullback jersey, but got bumped to the wing for Moani Harodi, who was obviously a late inclusion. Uh, but geez, I could imagine him at fullback, like just being able to get downhill on either side of the field, the mismatches he would cause. It's a lot like Ryan Pappenhausen, what he does with his speed. So yeah, definitely one to watch there for the Sharks. Well, one for them to do their best to hang Well, so yeah, he could be a, a bit of a coveted uh, signature for a few clubs. I I have to tell you, I, I came away thinking this is someone that other clubs must have their eye on because the Sharks, in having Will Kennedy and uh, the two wingers that are highly rated there, that that's the this that's these this bloke's positions, and he's big. And he's lightning. I mean, absolute lightning. If you haven't seen the footage of the game, or if you weren't out there, just the way he burnt the Eels' backs. Yeah, it was. He, he was impressive. Yep. Uh, yeah. So don't be surprised if he pops up at a club, whether it's the Sharks or someone else, as an NRL player in the near future. Uh, he he had a, not just the the top end speed, his turn of pace from the standing start was uh, very special. So one to put in the little book there. But for the Eel 60s this week, different team. They're taking on a, a team in the Seagulls or the Blacktown Workers Seagulls, whatever that abomination of a joint venture name is, uh, that like the Eels hasn't got a win. They're a buy and a loss on the books across the first two rounds. How do they get the, that break for a win this week? How do they get you know the ship righted? Well, I'm just looking at the, at the, the team for Manly. And they've got uh, some familiar names there. Joey Tremontana's running around for them. We've got, uh, and I'm talking about in terms of Eels people that you that we might be Clayton, familiar with. Clayton Filolo spent some time with us in the flag program. Uh, yes, Brad, uh, Austin Diaz. Yeah, Austin Diaz, Dean Madison, Troy Dargan. Uh, yeah. Who else is there? Uh, you mentioned Tremontana. I think that's it. But it's a good portion of the team. Plus, there's some other players we're familiar with there too, in terms of uh, the young talent at dummy half, Gordon Chen Kum Tong. He was, when we talk, we're talking about those manly programs that were good in the SG Ball and Harold Matthews, he was a big part of that across the last few years. Uh, Samuel Afina was the brother of our uh, uh, convicted uh, dummy half. Uh, what's his name? Menezi Afina, sorry. Uh, yes. So he's also a talent in the back row there. Uh, Zach Fulton we saw in the NRL last year. So there's some familiar names there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Morgan Boyle's got Morgan a bit Boyle, of Morgan Boyle, yeah, has spent time with the Titans and Manly in Melbourne maybe. Uh, yep. So, yeah, they've got some experience here. They've got some young talent. They've also got, you know, some sort of guys holding down spots that are, you know, just guys holding down spots. But that's the nature of reserve grade. Uh, and this, this, unfortunately, this is always a fiery one, isn't it? There's a lot of feeling in these... Uh, 
flag and cup games between these two teams because there's a lot of former Parramatta District guys in there. These tend to be pretty physical and emotionally charged encounters. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm just having a look and the Eels have something in the vicinity of about seven players. Uh, No, it's more. One, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten of Parramatta's 17. No, 11. 11 of Parramatta's 17 sit. No, 12 sit outside the top 30. There's a couple. We've got some development contracts there, but it's, yeah, 12. I, I might even be wrong again. It might be 13. Um, Arthur Miller-Steven, Isaac Lumi Lumi, Zach Sini, Jordan Rankin, uh, Brendan Hands, Luca Moretti, Tony Mattaelli, his development contract, Dan Keir, Jaden Yates, Tavita Tomapenu, Nico, uh, Nico Apelu, Brock Parker. I've named nearly the entire team, haven't I, there? The, the top 30 contracted players are Mitch Rain, that's one. Um, Ogden, that's two. Jake Arthur, that's three. Hayes Dunster, that's four. Dejan Arce, five. So, yeah, 12 players that sit outside the top so 30. The, the, I suppose, bear in mind that we are in a top 27 right now for the departure of Nathan Brown. Correct. And, and players that are unavailable either through injury or suspension. Yeah, so the, the team is far from its perfect form, you know, one way or the other. Uh, but it doesn't excuse some of the mistakes they've been making, does it? Like, obviously, in terms of going toe-to-toe with the best teams, and the Jets are one of the better teams in the competition. We said that in our preview, that they are always very good in this grade. So that's sort of something you take as part of that loss. But at the same time, the tackles they're missing, the players are not executing. You know, it's the same thing we sort of levied at the Jersey Flick. Regardless of who's in there, you should be doing this stuff better. Yeah. And really what you saw was... The hit and stick just wasn't there, was it? Nope. The amount of second phase footy that they allowed the Jets last week, it was just too much because that was where the lights of Stone Street were able to burn the eels, where there was a really late offload. And then the ball was shifted. Then the the Jets would shift the ball wide. And there was just opportunities galore when you've got a scattered defence and you've got speedsters in the team, they just made a meal of Parramatta's defence. And we let points go in chunks, didn't we, last week? It was 18-0. You know, we barely blinked. The team was down 18-0. And then they fought back to 18-12, and then they just... uh, The rot set in pretty much after that. So, I mean, the, the mission statement is simple this week. Uh, complete your sets, make your tackles, and you'll go a long way towards winning the game. Yeah, and and we could just about leave it at that. Yeah, that, that I mean, make, your, make your tackles, complete your sets. Yep. Don't don't we don't really Sweet want too much. Oh. Yeah, we don't need the big glamour plays, the big explosive plays. If they happen, that's awesome. But yeah, you know, just don't gift your opponents three points. Don't handicap yourself out of points. 
which is what's yeah. really been the crux of the, the for both the flag and the cup across the first two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of completing your sets and, and making your tackles, let's talk about NRL 60s because this is a big one. Uh, Eels making the trip out the Four Pines Park tomorrow, Thursday night, 8 o'clock p.m. kickoff. Uh, as it stands, mainly on top of the table with a win and a buy, uh, that big win over the Bulldogs, given obviously the points differential lead across the second-place Dolphins, believe it or not. Uh, who had that coming in after two rounds? I think that's a bigger surprise than the Parramatta Eels being on to Wayne Bennett doing a great job there. Uh, but Eels versus Seagulls, huge grudge match. Obviously, the two sister clubs incepted in 1947. Uh, Eels had the ascendancy against the Seagulls for a long time under Brad Arthur. More recently, it's mainly sort of put the needle back to their side before we've made it a lot closer again. Uh, we beat them last year with Jake Arthur helming the team in the same trip to Brookvale. So, obviously, recent form says that we can get it done. But looking at their team with 60s, let's talk about what's there to be beaten. Starting at fullback, the always talented but rarely available Tom Tobojevic. He's obviously a huge danger man in this contest. Christian Tulpolotu and Ruben Garrick, the goal kicker on the flanks. Brad Parker, Tolotau Kula in the centres. Josh Schuster makes his season debut coming back from, a, what was it, a calf strain, a hamstring strain or something lower body. But he's finally fit to take on the Parramatta Eels, of course. He'll partner the Daly Cherry yeah. Evans in this I was about to say. Yeah, you just beat me to the of course line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, obviously some of it is just like an inherent bias that you only look at the Parramatta sphere of information for this sort of thing, but it sure feels like this happens a lot (laughs) and that these players always come back against the Eels. Uh, But that's the back line. In the front row, Taniela Paseca and Jake Dubojevic are the bookends. Lock and Croker at dummy half. Hamole Alokawatu, Kelma Talangi, new recruit from the West Tigers. They're the edge back rolls. Josh Alioway. Uh, the lock forward on the interchange, K.O. Weeks, Ben Tvojevic, Ethan Bullimore, and Sean Kepi. Reserves, Tafoa Sipley, Cooper Johns, Morgan Harper, Carl Lawton, and Ben Condon, who came to him by way of the Cowboys. So, I mean, this Manly team on paper, they've got strike power. Probably, yeah. probably their forward pack is lacking some stars in the middle, you could argue. Paseka, Tvojevic, Aluai, they're, they're all solid. Uh, but there's no, you know, obviously Fenor Blake's been, uh, has departed that club a couple of years now, but he was really the star of the middle. But Olokawatu is very good in the edges. Uh, Kelma Talangi looks like he's fitting in pretty solidly. And you look at that back line, and, you know, Garrick's a good finisher. Kula can make something out of nothing. And then Tom Tavoyevich will, you know, he's just a nightmare to try and mark up with. And if Josh Schuster is applied and locked in, suddenly he's also someone you've got to consider. You don't believe Jake, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Jake Travojevic is a strike weapon, mate? No, no. He's an Australian. He's an Australian. I know. He's, he's a, a, a mainstay of the representative Warwick. teams, and he's obviously a good leader, and he makes good tackles, but I don't think he's a strike weapon. And he's probably probably not representative calibre uh, when you look at the, the holistic aspect of his game, but he's got some massively banked prize there as a leader and as a contributor they keep him in the mix there. So that that's not a slur on Jake. He's been a very good player. And it, it's not too dissimilar to Nathan Highmarsh in that had a very well-rounded game throughout the first half of his career, the first phase. But that the way he plays and the holes he patches up in that team take a toll. And we saw it with Hindy too. The body just started wearing out. He still played at an incredibly high level defensively, but the attack wasn't as good. Yeah. It, reputation is one of the nicest blokes in the NRL. As you said, he's... Uh, maybe the term that you look for is he's the ultimate professional. Pretty, much, pretty he, much, yeah. He's 
He's reliable. He he gets his role done. Never had a negative uh, headline about him off the field for the yeah, club. Yeah. Being a leader since he was in the junior reps program. So they, these are the guys that you love having your team, even if they're not offensive juggernauts, because they're still important. But yeah, the reality is for Jake, and watch him go score a double against us now, but the reality is for Jake is that he is not an offensive weapon. and hasn't been for a number of years now. Yeah, but they have their... They have the share of them uh, elsewhere because, like I, I, I think even someone like Christian Tupelotu would cause us to struggle there. Brad Parker, I, I'm gonna, I Thanks, don't know how many Scorpio. people are going to agree with me, but I reckon he's one of the most underrated centers in the yeah. game. Rocks old, very good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's one of those players that. Um, he's, I mean, he's akin to Tom Opechik for them, isn't he? And that is, a, he is. He's a guy who's done a, just does a really good job, week in week out. Has the odd big game, rarely has the bad game, and that level of consistency is so valuable for a coach and for a team. Yeah, you. He makes good decisions in defence. He carries the ball. Probably, he's one, probably one of the strongest carriers of the football in the NRL. The, there is no um, half measures. When he when he hits the ball, he, he's running at pace all the time, and makes the defence work hard to pull him down. He's not a superstar, but you like if someone said to me, um, "Look, we've just we've decided to recruit Brad Parker," I'd I'd probably be applauding. I I, I rate him as a player, and uh, and to me, he's a he's a danger. Um, Toletau Kula, he, well, he's another one that I think could be anything. And you, we, I think we're both fans of the potential of Josh Schuster. Oh, and yeah. It's never been a question of his skill set. Watching him come through the junior reps, you knew he had it in him to be an NRL superstar. It's all been about the application and the attitude. And by all accounts, he seems to be fitting better and driving better this season in the preseason. We haven't got a chance to see him in action yet. But hopefully he isn't driving too well. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just hope that we don't allow Ola Kawatu to have his own way on the yeah, edge. Yeah, because a, a lot of what Manly does best comes on the back when he's having a big game. Absolutely. Uh, he, he opens up a lot of possibilities for their attack. One of the things that I'm concerned about in terms of Eels supporters right now is that the first two rounds have caused us to forget the positive in our team. And that instead our focus is on where are we having problems. Now, that's obviously, there's a reason for that, which is that the losses have come through areas where where maybe we have struggled. But, you know, the Seagulls have to look at the Eels and go, you know what, forget what, what position Parramatta are on the bottom of the table. They're... They were grand finalists last year and they have threats within their team. And I hope, therefore, if the Seagulls think that way, that Eels supporters also think that way because we have a spine which should still be one of the best spines in the competition. Why did we lose the first round? Our spine didn't function. Mm -hmm. Why should we have won the second round our spine performed better. Yep. And they lifted as they needed to, and we made errors elsewhere that became uh, match-defining errors. 
Um, we leaked points where we shouldn't have leaked points and they leaked too easily. So, yeah, I mean, I look at the team and I go, okay, the spines, if they're functioning as they should, that's a big part of the job. Junior and Reg and um, Hopgood, mate, I don't know that they could have started the season any better than what they have. No, they've been fantastic. We're, we're missing Maddow and Lane. Um, I think Dury's made a promising start and we're, we're seeing the worker version of Bryce Cartwright. He's we're not really seeing anything that's, you know, where people accuse him of doing crazy things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're seeing the rock-solid version of Bryce Cartwright. Maybe we need to see a bit of the... Um, more adventurous side, but I don't think BA does in in that regard. Um, so what's happening from the bench? Well, again, because we're missing Maddow and Lane, it means uh, that we're missing Maddow off the bench and then someone's in the starting lineup, like maybe Bryce Cartwright, that could be coming on as an impact player. Yeah, it could be helping, say, Matt Dury in rotation on the average. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. So um, we probably... It'd be fair to say that we're not getting what we want out of Momosia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Wiramu didn't get any match time last week. And I could understand in some ways because the game was really fast. And uh, whereas people were maybe thinking, well, we need players out there um, because the game is fast. And there's a bit of fatigue there. I'm not sure that Wiramu is a player to inject into a fast-paced game. Well, yeah. We've seen it even at the cup level, you can be picked off defensively when the game speed takes that tick upwards and you know the defensive line's retreating. So, yeah, it's a fair call for 60s. And, look, the reality is that our bench isn't as strong as we'd like it to be right now. I mean, you know, just to put it in plain and simple, no Lane, no Madison, uh, especially those two, but, you know, just a few other pieces here and there as well, guys not quite in form or, you know, not not making the right moves, uh, you know we're, we're not as strong on the bench as we needed to be or as we want to be, uh, and it's putting a toll, it's putting a toll and a strain on the starting forwards who are doing a really good job, and yeah, you know and Jack Jack Murchie's been good off the interchange. I do want to shout him out. He's been very good, and he's a player that you highlighted in the preseason. Yep. I think he's probably the one that's exempt from this criticism as it stands, uh, but yeah, we need more from the interchange forwards. Yes, they're getting small opportunities because we do rely heavily on our starters, but that that makes it all the worse. You're coming into the game, and you literally just have to go hard for a smaller window, and yeah. it's it's not happening. Yeah, and look, we we talked about this last year with uh, BA's tendency to go smaller minutes off the bench, um, ex- really extended minutes for Junior and Reg, and we we brought up that there was if you've got starters to the quality that we have that it's obvious the BA is just trying to maximise the time that they're out there on the field. They're paid big bucks. He wants a big bucks return on that. Now, we do have the counterpoint, which is why have players on the bench if you're not going to get minutes out of them? Now, if the game was... uh, I mean, we've had... Wiramu wasn't used last week, but he selected this week. Will Manly play a match that's any slower? 
No, they're a team that would be – they're an up-tempo team. Well, at least when, when the game's in their favour, they're an up-tempo team. So my only thoughts there is, are we going to see another match where it's Wiramu that doesn't get game time or is it going to be Makatoa or is it, is it going to be Momosia? I, I, I don't know because it, it seems to be that the rotation is such that someone misses out on game time. And again, we, I mean, we've worked out how many minutes that he, that he wants out of the players. He, he's, he's after at least 50 minutes generally from uh, junior and reg, maybe close to 60 minutes if he can. So that leaves, um, you know, 20 to 30 minutes off each of them, somewhere between 40 to 60 match minutes there. He's getting the full 80 minutes that he's aiming for with, um, or he's trying to get 80 minutes out of Hopgood. Has he played 80 minutes in both games? I think in round two he didn't. If I, I think he ended up getting a quick spell. Let me just double check that for yeah. you while we're chatting. Because he, he was, I mean, he was one of a number of starting forwards that was quite gassed because of the tempo of that game. Yes. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, obviously knowing his work rate too, he, he did a lot. So let me just check out play stats quickly. They've got Hopkins And I'm thinking, down. I'm thinking. Uh, Bryce Cartwright played the full 80. So Matt Dury sev- didn't. 71 for Hopgood, 72 for Dury, the full uh, 80 for Bryce, yeah. 57 yeah. for Junior, 65 for Reg, 13 for Makatoa, 35 for Murchie, 23 for Momosia, which also included that concussion coverage play for that Quinn Gufferson reshuffle. Yeah, okay. So if you take out the that concussion time for Momosia... How many, how many minutes did he I, want from I him? think it's a mandate of 15 minutes. So it would have been, of that, he would have had eight minutes outside of the concussion uh, yeah. protocols. Yeah, so eight minutes for him outside of concussion protocols. What did you say it was for Murchie and the others? 35 for Murchie, 13 for Makatoa. That's 43, 43, and so 56. So he's only covering 56 minutes where he doesn't have his starters there. And... That probably tells you that he is looking to really, I mean, not just maximise, but almost like fully maximise the minutes out of the starters. And uh, maybe, again, that's a reflection of the fact that we've only got 27 players on our roster that um, we, maybe we don't have the bench that he wants. Uh, I As think the, based on what we saw last season and what we're seeing now, it's pretty clear that Makoto and Greg aren't options he's comfortable using when the game's there to be won or lost. Yeah. And that's unfortunately where we've been in the first two rounds. We haven't been able to get off to a, a clear runaway start. We threatened to do it against Cronulla uh, before the the unfortunate uh, bunker or medical bunker intervention on Quinton Gufferson, which then brought the game right back into Cronulla's hands. Uh, and yeah, like... You might not agree with it. I understand if you don't, but it's clear that Arthur doesn't trust Craig and Makatoa with the same level of responsibilities that he does for especially Junior and Reg, but obviously to Jack Murchie, who seems to be in the good graces of the interchanges there. I think it's fair to say when you use the word doesn't trust them, it means in the context of how those games were unfolding that they weren't the type of players that he wanted to bring in at the time when he was going to bring in somebody. And uh, to that end, we talked about that speed of the the uh, Cronulla game to the 
ends of the uh, when it came to the uh, the storm game. I think there was a few more minutes that was that were played. He did use Wiramu in that game, um, but both games had a different feel about them, and he used the players that he thought suited whatever the match was. Um, whether whether he's right or wrong in how he's handling the bench, that's a lot of debate that people have at the moment. Um, I guess last year you come down to where did we end up in the grand final? Okay, we didn't win it, but there's obviously a hell of a lot right going at the moment. That's probably the point that I wanted to make when I said I think um, ill supporters, we're probably fixated right now on the negatives around our team rather than the positives around our team. And the other positive around our team is, yes, there are players that have gone, but we're still talking about the team, a team and a coach that got into the grand final last year. They got into the grand final for a reason. And that reason isn't solely with players that left the club. No, obviously. And uh, speaking of players that still left the club, let's just quickly run through the team with 60s. There's not too much to, to discuss in terms of changes, but that's the nature of where we're at between only being round three and the players that we mentioned that are unavailable in the likes of Sean Lane, uh, Ryan Madison, and now Sean Russell. But starting fullback, one of the co-captains, Quinton Gufferson, on the flanks, Mike Acevo and Bowie Simonson. Will Penasani, Wonga Blake in the centres, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses in the halves. Front row, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Josh Hodgson, Junior Barlow. Back row, Bryce Cartwright, Matt Dury, Jermaine Hopgood. On the interchange, we've spoken about him extensively just then, but Jira Momosia, Jack Murchie, Wiramu Greg, Makassi Makatoa. The reserves, Jake Arthur, Hayes Dunster, Ofahiki Ogden, Kai Rodwell, Isaac Lumi Lumi. We mentioned that Rodwell being added to the reserves is a bit odd considering he's not there for the Reggies. So it might just be either a clerical error or they might not have enough top 30 guys to throw in there at this point. I'm not sure. Uh, but that's the reality of the team list. No changes. That's what we expected. Uh, Ryan Madison comes back next week after he serves the final leg of that three-game suspension. Sean Lane still a few weeks off after that. We're, we're not sure about Sean Russell uh, because he we believe he's hurt his shoulder, but that's not confirmed. The club didn't put out an injury report this week. There was some uh, Twitter speculation from people that seemed to have a connection to Sean that sort of put that rumour out there, 60s. But yeah, that, that's where the Eels are at. And, and as much as people are frustrated about unchanged team list, again, the reality is that we should have beaten Melbourne and we should have beaten Cronulla. Uh, as much as there are players that are struggling, and that is certainly on that left edge, things aren't right, uh, unhealthy right now, defensively at least. Uh, you know, things need to be figured out. But we still should have won both games. So We should have. The other point that I'll make to people is... When you make changes or you're thinking about making a change, the other half of making the change is who comes in. Yeah, and that, that that's a huge part of it. And you're looking at a New South Wales Cup team and a Jersey flag team that have had worse losses than the NRL team. Yeah. So do you reward individuals who didn't perform in lower grades um, because there was a problem in the first grade team, uh, are you going to make the situation better or are you going to make it worse? They're, I mean, that's the that's for the coach to decide. And, the, and we mentioned that he's, he's one of the outs or unavailables, but Sean Ross was really the guy that would come in and warrant the actual change. And yeah. he, was, he was actually scheduled to be there last week before um, getting nicked up in training, which then uh, meant Bowie Simonson got rushed back in without playing any... Uh, pre-season or reserve grade action 
and he sure looked like a player that was a bit rusty, didn't he, last week? A guy that hadn't had a chance to get his football legs underneath him in 2023. Uh, but yeah, with no Russell, no Lane, no Madison, the reality is that they're the, the either they should be there just installed basically, or the first cab off the rank, and they're not available. So yeah, yeah. So we're we're talking about that. There's a maximum of 24 players available, potentially only 23, depending on what the situation was is with uh, Kai Rodwell, but and, 23. And- Top 30. And there is a conversation to be had that the recruitment retention committee might need to be more aggressive about filling out the top 30 as well to ensure that this isn't as a deeper an issue as it is right now. But there's also just an element of bad luck too. Like, you know, Sean Lane it wasn't meant to break his jaw. Sean Russell wasn't meant to get hurt the week that he was included in NRL team. Uh, so you know, you got to roll those punches. And as much as we are struggling for troops, this team is still way good enough, way, way good enough to bank these wins. It's just been a, a series of uh, missed tackles, squandered attacking opportunities, like right up at the last minute against the Cronulla Sharks. You know, Wanga Blake has a chance to find Sebo on his left, but doesn't. And that was the yeah. game, game right there. And that's on top of the two tries that were scored down that left edge earlier in the game, which were critical in the flow of the game. So, you know, it's... I am frustrated as a fan, 60s. I am frustrated as someone that has... Uh, you know, some sort of like media connection to the club too, I suppose, in our role as, you know, TCT ambassadors. But I can also see the forest for the trees right now. Yeah, yeah. I I think like everyone else, uh, there was, it went beyond disappointment last week. Absolutely. And it it causes a person as a supporter to lose focus on anything positive. Uh, it it's harder to it, it's so much easier to focus on what's wrong rather than what's right, and I've to to that end I've had a post ready to go on accentuating the positive as supporters, and I've still mentally struggled about posting it. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. I mean, I, I I should just come straight out and be positive and post it, but. My thought is, yeah, you know, is the timing right for it or not? The thing is, the players are the ones that have to be as positive as they can. And the the real risk comes from within. If they lose track on the positive, if they see themselves, if they see reasons why they can't get the job done, the job won't be done. If they go out there and they know what they have to do, if they have confidence that they can get it done, then we will see a win. So let's get to our predictions, mate. Yeah, so realistically, this is a game the Eels can drop. You know, Manly at home, off the back of an early buy. We don't really know what to make of these early buys as well, Sixes. That's another wild card in all these predictions. With that 17-team competition structure, uh, you know, in mid-season buys tend to be seen favourably because there's a chance to recharge and uh, recuperate. But these early season buys, is it good, is it bad? We don't know. We're going to find out this week. Manly had that big win against the Dogs, and now they've got a week off. So we don't know what sort of factor that is. But on paper, they're a very scary team. They're at home. Yeah, the Eels had the last start win at Brookvale, uh, and there was no Mitchell Moses in that game. Jake did a great job running the team in the second half. Uh, but, yeah, you, you can't take that. <laughs> you can't take that as a good thing uh, coming into this game, given how the two teams are travelling. I will tip a Parramatta win 60s. 
but that is with the caveat that we could be on free. Like that, very much a reality. I'm going to go for Will Penasini for first try scorer, Parramatta to win 26-18. Mate, uh, if I was someone that gambled on the Eels, and we know that I have a ban put on, the, so I can't, uh, include the eels in anything, like not a multi, not a, <laughs> n- not anything, right? But if I was, if I was someone that had the go ahead, the the tick of approval, I would take this game as a one to twelve each way. Yeah, I would. I I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't exclusively tip the eels on this. Um, I believe that we can win. I think it will be close. Uh, but just as you do, I, I'm i not going to be surprised by defeat in this one. Uh, but we can't have the play Again, we can't have the players thinking defeat in any way, shape or form. Um, it's a quick turnaround. I don't know what they got outside of yesterday in terms of training, but they're finished for the week. So their their preparation Thursday done. games, man, it's crazy, they're, isn't it? They're they're wrapped up. So however they were after last night, whatever their mindset was after last night, that's it. So I'm thinking it's going to be, let's say, a four point game. I'll go for the Eels thirty to twenty six. Last week I thought it was going to be a low scoring. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being a bit of a shootout. Yeah. Um, this week. I see reasons for it being high scoring rather than low score. Watch it be thirteen to twelve or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I'm I'm going to say the Eels by four points, thirty to twenty six. Um, I'll go. Uh, you, we, we're going to let you brag in a moment about first try scorers and predictions there, but uh, I will go for Sevo as first try scorer and. Best on field. I think I was correct last week in Parramatta's best on field. Uh, from memory, I think I nominated Moses, didn't I? I went Hopgood, you went Moses, and it's probably fair to say they were both among the uh, top performers on the field, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to go for Moses again as Parramatta's best on field with a, a keeper watch on Dylan Brown. Uh, I just feel like he's might be stinging a little bit he improved last week, but he might be re- really ready to launch. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the tips. Now, lay it on the line. Let people re- give people a reminder of your. Well, tip for, last for, firstly, I've got to quickly put my man in the match. You know, I'll go to the spine as well, but I'll go for Josh Hodgson. I think he's been sold without being spectacular first two rounds. I think he'll start coming to the fall this week, or hopefully he'll come to the fall this week with his. Uh, controlling of the ruck, particularly close to the goal line. Yeah, and so if you were stupid enough to listen to me last week, um, I, was looking at, I was looking at the first try scorer market right now. Uh, Sportsbet still have Reg at $71 for this game, 60 So if you were dumb enough to listen to me last week and have a cheeky little 10 bucks on uh, Reg to pay out, you just uh, picked up a nice little $700 or $710 there for your efforts uh, based on the market from this week for last week. So I don't get them right often, but when I do, you win big. <laughs> one of our one of our regular readers who uh, is uh, respond puts in a reply to just about every post that we have. Sean, he likes to put in his tips each week in terms of who he thinks is going to be uh, a try first try scorer or double. He nominated 
Reg to be first try scorer and Sivo a double. Damn. So he went even harder than me. So if you'd actually back that into like a same game multi, you're laughing. Oh, you'd be, you'd be sweet. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that's Christmas settled. If I mean, if you had it into the Eels win, you were out out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> had a treble there, uh, which probably people might have had. Oh shit! Wouldn't you be dirty if you? Oh if, my god! I, and could... I don't know whether he did it, but. If you were Sean and you had that that double into an Eels win, and you missed out on it on the shortest odds in your in your three league multi, oh, yeah, no. it would be. Oh, no. You would be. You'd be uh, very what, would dirty. Sivo, what would Sivo be for a double? He's, he'd have to be what around five dollars for a double. Sure, because four, four or five. Like he'd have to be at like not long odds but long ish in terms of scoring because he's a he's a try scoring machine but doubles aren't common and uh, i know sarah tends to score in batches to be fair but what did they have a market here for doubles i'll, I'll have a quick gander but yes, the doubles do. market they do, they do. I'm just, yeah i'm just uh i'm just opening up the uh new south wales cab that i always get the uh odds in my uh my tips each week i based it on new south wales tab Odds. I'm just having a look at the market now for Manly versus Para, and first try scorer to score a try. Um, oh, hang on. I've, I, I think I've opened up the uh, the wrong one there. Um, or have I score two or more tries? They've got Seabot five ninety. There you go. Ruben Garrick yeah. and Tom Tavoyage ahead of him yeah. on the line, but he's still paying uh, surprisingly short odds. So yeah, so so if if you had have had Reg into the double, you would have been looking at odds uh, of uh, probably around the four hundred to one mark. Damn, so, <laughs> that, that, that is Christmas paid off on a ten dollar investment right there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's ten dollars on that. There's a nice little four thousand dollar return. Yeah. On, on on a small investment, and of course, we say to people, gamble responsibly. Hundred percent. You can you can just you can just have these for fun. Just go. If I put ten dollars on this, what would my return have been? You know, you can do it for fun without actually putting the money on. Um, and you know, of course, never bet money that you can't afford. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I am now zero for two. In the punting tips this year, <laughs> so you probably want to avoid my tip at the moment until I start to get a few right. And uh, if you if you have a Parramatta bias like me, that's probably a bad starting point right now. <laughs> so, mate, I think I think that's uh, that just about wraps things up. We've had an extended podcast here. What are we? Are we at the two hour mark? Yeah, we are at uh, one fifty eight and a half. So, yeah, it's it's been. I mean, the NRL news this week was just almost unprecedented in terms of uh, the the landscape altering stuff that is happening we had to talk about it so unfortunately it means that it's been a prolonged podcast but hopefully you enjoyed us ranting and rambling about everything and hopefully the parameters can uh, get some something sort of cooking across all three grades in the senior levels and in the junior reps this week yeah and once we start to go past these uh early early yeah, round and the schedule normalizes we can get back to a normal podcasting cycle yeah yep so thank you for being with us and as always go you wheels <laughs>